Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Now chances are, as you're sitting next to someone who is in love with the musical Hamilton. It certainly does have its critics. However, the lively way that history can come alive through the song has been something that has been talked about for the past almost decade that it's been a part of our lives. Now, I have to be honest, I was not able to be a part of the Broadway musical experience there because of having younger children, because of the price of the tickets, and of course, it wasn't really locally available, me living in Los Angeles. However, during the pandemic, Disney Plus made it available so I could watch it from the comforts of my own home. But I have to say, I wasn't in the room when they sang in the room where it happened. I'm referencing, of course, to a part in the play where the historical figure Aaron Burr's life runs parallel to Alexander Hamilton. And Burr wants to be in the seat of power, the seat of power that Hamilton currently occupies. And so he's in a room making decisions with some of the founding fathers. And he fully owns up to the fact that he wants to be in the room where it happened. Because Burr is a ladder-climbing, do-whatever-is-necessary-to-get-ahead kind of a person. And as the story plays out, we see this inner turmoil inside of him where he feels inferior and overlooked. Now, I'm reminded of the times in my life, seasons and communities where I didn't get an invite, when I experienced the pang of wishing that I was there or included in some sort of event, or being invited to the table for a discussion. I resonate very deeply with the feeling of wanting to be in the room where it happened. And so does the disciple Thomas, who we see in this week's scripture has missed out on being in the room where it happened. And as we reflect together over this particular story, may we also sit with that ache and be met in the same way as Thomas does, met with peace. Over the season of Lent, these past couple of weeks, John preached the seven last words of Christ, and then on Easter preached the first words of Christ. And these are the next ones that Christ says. Peace be with you. After the resurrection, confusion gives way to conviction as Jesus appears alive. And one by one, Jesus appears to his followers and they see that he has been raised from the dead. First it was Mary who then went and told the disciples. And they didn't believe what Mary had said. She said, I have seen the Lord alive. So then Jesus appeared to the disciples. 
and as many disciples as could fit in a moderately sized Roman house, the scripture notes that they had locked doors. And Jesus enters the room and mutters, Shalom, which means peace be with you. The most common greeting of its time, and it brought both a moment of familiarity and also theological depth that was so needed. It's very in character for the disciples to not understand what was going on at that particular time. And so as Jesus continued, he needed to show his hands and his side. And the disciples began to celebrate because it finally sunk in. They were able to proclaim themselves, I have seen the Lord. Jesus gave them this gift of peace and then also a further invitation to share it in the work of forgiveness. However, not all the disciples were present. Where was Thomas? Was he left off the group text? Did he say that he was going to go get breakfast for everyone and stumbled upon a fresh baked bread in the Margaret and he just needed to wait for it to finish? Or maybe he got encountered by some authorities and held up. We might never know. But what we do know is that upon hearing about Jesus raising from the dead and that Jesus visited the disciples, he wanted to see for himself. He had serious FOMO, fear of missing out. And he says, until I see the wounds in the nails, nail marks, I won't believe. Who doesn't love a solid sign in a state of crisis and vulnerability? I sure do. And Jesus is there to meet the needs. And it's captured, he's captured throughout history as the moniker Doubting Thomas. Perhaps you've heard that. As if he's the only one who needs proof. Mary Magdalene needed proof. She saw that empty tomb and didn't believe until the risen Lord himself turned to her and called out her name. And then Mary told the disciples, and they didn't believe for themselves until they saw him. Thomas demands it. We would be also needing it. So after the women and the disciples, except Thomas, have seen the risen Lord, and for a week they sit on this information, which I think is crazy, but we don't have any information other than that. But after a week, they return together in this house. Thomas was with them this time, and that's the only difference we get in this literary style. It's the same. The door was shut. Jesus' first words were, peace be with you, and his purpose is clear. He walks straight over to Thomas, and he shows him his hands and his side, and Thomas also exclaims, my Lord and my God. Jesus' closing words are a challenge. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. And with that, Jesus reaches out and meets us in our own lives today, calming that same ache as Thomas with peace of Christ. Now, in these parallel accounts of Jesus' encounter with the disciples and then also specifically Thomas, there is this detail about the door being locked that particularly caught my attention. 
And I'm not alone in my wonderings, as many commentators also noted this. And they said, maybe it was for protection. If the wrong people found out that they were gathering, leaders who were sympathizers with the Roman agenda, hoping to squash out this rebellion, Jesus first, and then all of his followers, they're likely going to suffer the same plight as their leader, dead. Or maybe it was to prove that Jesus could enter into any space, unlocked, uninvited, Jesus could still be there. And I've heard this story before, and I've remembered teaching on this before, whatever was the point being highlighted, but I had not heard one particular thing considered, and I found it amongst a scholar named President Craig Barnes, who's the former president of Princeton Theological Seminary. And he says, regarding the disciples behind locked doors, because they were maybe afraid of the Jews, he says, that doesn't seem terribly credible fear. There was no evidence that anyone was planning to hunt down Jesus' followers. Anyway, earlier that same day, any lingering fears of arrest of the disciples may have didn't prevent them from running straight towards Jesus' tomb. If ever there was a location where they could have run into a Roman soldier or Jewish leaders, the tomb was it. But still, they went. So why did fear lock them up in a room when resurrection was in the air? Who or what were they really afraid of? Whom were they really afraid of running into? Could it have been afraid they were afraid of running into Jesus himself? Which gives us a third and maybe more clear picture of this scene. Their fear is that Jesus is actually alive and would find them, having wavered in their faith, feeling shamed by their actions, having denied him. That's not so far from the state of being that Jesus might find us in. What are the locked parts of your life that it's your intention to keep Jesus out of. Maybe the balance of life and work. Maybe a hard conversation you've waited too long to have. Maybe tangled emotions between the last days of school and a new experience like going off to college. The parts that are hard and scary in raising your own children or grandchildren. What about your finances and your politics? Have you locked Jesus out of those? But, like in the scene in John, Jesus enters into all of those spaces, and all of those places, locked or not, and Jesus says, Peace be with you. I'm right here with you in this life. And when Jesus says, Peace be with you, we're also given a lot of freedom to stop hiding and to truly have that peace that will rest our troubled souls. Because we are human and need a solid sign of Jesus the Lord in the flesh. And so we come to church and get that tactile experience all the time. Together we reflect on our human need and we have our sacraments of all. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, very tactile. What about held hands and prayer? Here 
or perhaps at the bedside of someone? What about the passing of the peace that is wonderful to have back? It all conveys this warmth and intimacy of our Lord and Savior, embodied with us and among us, touching us. And these intimate gestures are so needed when understanding the risen Lord. And so a week after Easter, maybe many Easter's for some of us, we've encountered this risen Christ. And what peace might we also have? And what peace might we bring to someone else as Jesus commanded? Let us pray. God, we know that in seeing we can believe. And in the experience of being people who have experienced Easter, let us also believe and bring that peace of Christ to not only the bounds of this congregation, but beyond. Help us to do that and experience this great and grand peace you have. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.